Episode 16. Yes, Virginia. Don't talk, just listen. first year, after the city vanished into the strange land of the black sun, the gray slate sky, and the midnight desert, it came as quite a shock when the air grew cold and ice formed and did not thaw, and gentle flakes of crystal snow came a-tumbling down to coat all the world in a glistening cover of white. It was almost as much a shock as the bevy of creatures that came from out of that midnight desert and down from that gray slate sky. Almost, anyways. But people had adapted. That's what they do. The monsters in the snow were alike as a fact of life that one simply had to deal with. It was to handle one that Mr. Mayhew dressed in his heavy coat, wore his thick boots, and draped his long scarf over and around his neck. It was to handle the other that he asked the woman Cassandra with her sickle blade to escort him on his errand. She met him outside the entrance to the St. Peter's Hospital. Mr. Mayhew carried no weapons himself, only a thick leather-bound book under one arm. He looked around with a worried air. Is the other guy coming? Cassandra asked from underneath her red hood. What was his name? Mr. Oaks, right? Big Santa Claus looking guy? Mr. Mayhew did not reply. This was not entirely unsurprising as Mr. Mayhew was known all throughout the community that had emerged within and around St. Peter's and indeed all throughout the city beat the black sun, as a man who kept his words and thoughts almost entirely to himself. There were individuals who had known him for years and considered the man a welcome and friendly presence, yet they could not have told you what the man's voice sounded like. He did his work and helped whoever he could. He patched wounds and set breaks and he diagnosed illnesses when they came. Where comfort could be given, he gave. When mercy was all that remained, he supplied it. When he was not needed, he retreated to his office into himself. His mind became preoccupied with readings and writings that no one else was privy to. 
for all other matters, especially those concerning public relations and outreach. There was Mr. Oaks, the man who looked like Santa Claus. Well, not really, Cassandra admitted. I guess Santa, he usually got a white beard, right? Here Mr. Oaks is, it's red as fire. But then again, when I was a kid, we used to watch this Christmas special, all about how Santa Claus first came to town. I can't think of the name. And the young Chris Kringle, he had a big red beard just like that. I can't remember anything else about that special, except that it had a penguin in it, I think. And I think, wasn't Sinatra the narrator? Bing Crosby, came a voice from behind. The pair halted in their step. Cassandra turned, but Mr. Mayhew did not. Hey there, Cassandra called. I was just asking about you. I heard, Mr. Oaks replied, crossing the last bit of distance between them. He clapped Mr. Mayhew on the shoulder. Where are you off to in such a hurry after dark? Is this a secret hurry? A scurry. Maybe that's why they call it that. Mr. Mayhew looked away, but Cassandra jumped in. He asked me, well, he asked Priya to find me and asked me to escort him to the sewer mouth. Won't tell me why. I can tell you why, Mr. Oak said, suddenly grave. He wants to talk to the crocodile. But why? You mean old King Croc? Cassandra asked. I thought that was just a story the sewer tribe told to keep their kids from wandering off down dark tunnels. Darker than average, anyway. So it is. So it is. But my compatriot here has discovered a rather alarming truth about this land. It seems that stories here, if you are coming, then come, Mr. Mayhew snapped, and off he strode. The woman in the hood and the man with the beard shared a surprised look. They shrugged and followed. Soon, it began to snow. The city beneath the black sun was never anything less than dangerous, but in the deepest depths of night it became a hunting ground that only the very brave or the very foolish dared to walk. For all this, Cassandra and her misters made good time to the sewer mouth, save for a chancy moment when they were forced to seek shelter in a disused laundromat to avoid a pack of needle mouths that ambled freely down the street. Cassandra thought that one in the pack sniffed at the air a bit too long for comfort, but given that Mr. Mayhew was proving to be quite driven, it seemed they had no choice but to keep pressing on and hope that the steady cascade of powder would mask their odor from even the preternaturally gifted noses of the predators. When they reached the sewer mouth, Mr. Mayhew hoisted himself into the pipe 
It worried Cassandra to be this close to the midnight desert, with only a thin line of sand separating the city proper from that weird expanse. Once, a steady tide of filth had poured from this concrete portal out into the ocean, but now only a thin stream trickled to splatter in discolored rainbows. As Cassandra and Mr. Oakes made to climb up after Mr. Mayhew, the quiet man angrily waved them away, clasping his book tight to his chest. Mr. Mayhew submitted to the dark. Why exactly is he seeking out ghost stories? Cassandra asked, pacing the ground. Mr. Oakes perched on a rock and tried to relax. He replied, Not ghosts. Gods. That's what I was trying to tell you earlier. This place has a strange sort of habit of... He made a kind of booming motion with his hands, blowing up, magnifying belief. Stories take on strange weight. If enough people believe a story, the right number of people, the right kind of people, those stories become reality. Isn't that the exact opposite of how that works? Cassandra replied. Reality becomes legend because of how people tell it. Not legend being, I don't know, transmuted into actual flesh and blood. But it did happen, Mr. Oakes insisted. People believe a hawk soars with the will of the angels. And so it appears and leads an innocent from damnation. People believe a crocodile stalks the sewers and punishes those who trespass upon him and rewards those who worship. And so he does. Cassandra mulled this over. Okay, so where do you two come in? Not me, Mr. Oakes said. I am just trying to keep the hospital running and hoping that the man McRae doesn't burn down what little of the world we have left. Him, though, Oakes nodded to the sewer mouth. He's fascinated by it. Ever since we first got here, he's been scribbling in that book, trying to suss out what it all means, as he puts it. Mr. Oakes sighed. I wish I could help him. Cassandra, as gentle as she could, said, He doesn't seem eager for help. At least at the moment. Oh, he gets like that sometimes, Oak said. Yet, when I do leave him alone for a minute, he ends up seeking me out. It's, it's the words, you see. He's never really been able to put words to all the thoughts bursting in his noggin. But I always know how to say what he means. That must be nice, Cassandra said. How did you two meet up? Mr. Oakes opened his mouth to respond, only to close it again. Now, isn't that the damnedest thing? 
His train of thought was broken by the appearance of Mr. Mayhew from out of the sewer mouth. Mr. Mayhew looked down upon his companions, like a ruined king surveying the paltry kingdom remaining to him. He hopped down from the mouth and began to walk back in the direction of St. Peter's. Cassandra and Mr. Oakes once more shrugged and fell into easy step behind him. They didn't get ten steps. That's when the current of snowfall was obstructed by a dark mass that moved within. As they watched, the mass began to splinter until it was clear that it was not one beast but many moving in concert and moving closer. Cassandra shoved her way in front of the frozen Mr. Mayhew, brandishing her sickle blade. From behind the snow, she could make out the excited murmurs of the needle mouths as they inched closer. It sounded cruel, and it sounded hungry. It sounded quite a bit like laughter. Into the sewer, Cassandra called back. But, Mr. Oakes began to protest. This is why you brought me, now go! The woman in the red hood insisted. As the pair raced to feed themselves back into the black maw of the sewer mouth, Mr. Oakes risked a single look back. Cassandra buried the sickle blade into the head of one beast and then was already sliding it free as another two from the pack circled her. But one needle mouth no longer had eyes for the woman. Its hungry gaze was fixed on Mr. Oaks. The bearded man turned and ran, ran so hard it felt like his heart might explode from his chest and his lungs might catch fire. He made it to the sewer mouth and flung himself in with one motion and then was on his feet and running just as hard, his feet slipping in the frost-bitten sewer scum that coated all sides of the pipe. From behind, he could hear the tapping of claws as they found purchase. The pipe took the beast's low growls and returned them back a hundredfold until it seemed that the pipe itself was vibrating with menace. With no thought beyond blind panic, Mr. Oakes tore down a dozen different corridors and chutes, but always that low growl stalked him. He turned down one passage, expecting to find nothing but another anonymous stretch of pipe, but instead found himself in a large chamber. Against the far wall was a ladder, leading up to a secondary tier which must have been used by tunnel and sewage workers to observe the flow of water underneath the city. Mr. Mayhew was halfway up the ladder, and as Mr. Oakes watched, the other man made it to the top and then cast a furtive glance back. 
Mr. Oakes could have sworn he saw something like revulsion cross his oldest friend's face when he saw him standing below. Or maybe it was just the low, sickly light of the sewer that gave that illusion. Either way, the expression lasted only a moment, and in the next, Mr. Mayhew waved him over, indicating the ladder. Mr. Oakes took five steps, and then he heard the growl. It was not an echo. He could not bear to turn his head. Tiny ripples flecked the surface of the water as the creature's claws twitched. Mr. Oakes closed his eyes and tried to imagine the sun as it had once been. Hey! His eyes snapped open. Mr. Mayhew had climbed down, had taken up a small collection of stones and scattered pieces of debris. He flung his improvised projectiles with all his might and was rewarded with a meaty thump and a short bark of pain. Mr. Mayhew met Mr. Oakes's eyes. The quiet man offered up a small smile and a short nod, and then he turned and began to run. The beast chased, and Mr. Oakes was left alone to his trembling. He did not know how long he wandered in that subterranean maze. There was not a light besides the vague metallic glow, and there was no direction save a constant winding curve. On a few occasions, he dared to call out the names of Mr. Mayhew and the woman Cassandra, but only his own voice ever answered. At last, Mr. Oakes collapsed against the side of the pipe, no longer caring that the ever-present stream was soaking through his pants. His shoes had been a sudden mess for ages, the cold his only ever-present companion. He buried his head in his arms and exhaled all his loss and exhaustion, just as despair threatened to overwhelm him, he became aware that he was being watched. Slowly, oh so slowly, he raised his head. What stood framed in the tunnel mouth might once have been a human girl. Tattered rags hung on its thin frame, while individual strands of hair clung to an otherwise threadbare scalp. Scales coated its skin like a rash. When it opened its mouth, Mr. Oakes could see that rows of fangs were in the midst of growing out of gums. The girl, if that's what it was, raised its hand 
and curled a single clawed digit back in a beckoning motion. It said, Come to Croc. He followed it, expecting at any moment to stumble and have the motion knock him back into wakefulness. The girl brought him to a large, open chamber. A platform stood overlooking the space, and Mr. Oaks could see what must have been a crew of supplicants from the sewer tribe come to respect their lord. Their green-hued skin glittered like dirty emeralds. In the center of the chamber, there stood a thing that was neither man nor beast, the first new god born unto this land beneath the black sun, old King Croc. At his feet lay the prone form of Mr. Mayhew and the torn form of the Needlemouth. The monster was only so much meat now. Mr. Oakes sprinted the short distance to his friend and knelt beside him before old King Croc. Mr. Mayhew breathed yet. Once he was sure of that, Mr. Oakes dared to look up and countenance the living myth that stood before him. The king's expression was, in a word, inscrutable. He trudged off, sparing not a single word or look to the two men or to his worshippers. When he reached the girl, she raised her arms up like a child demanding to be freed from their high chair or car seat. He lifted her easily and both vanished back into the dark of his keep. Mr. Oakes examined Mr. Mayhew as best he could. The wounds were serious, but not grievous. The sewer tribe envoys had by this time come down and were inching closer to the two men. Stretcher, Mr. Oakes called. We have to get this man out of here. They blinked at him. Now! That set them off, muttering to one another in their strange slur speech that was becoming popular among the young of this sewer tribe. Soon, the young and old would be unable even to speak to each other. Mr. Mayhew stirred, groaning. Keep still, Marcus, Mr. Oak said. I'm getting you out of here. Mr. Mayhew moaned. The, the book. Where, where? Mr. Oaks cast about. There. Not far from the mouth which had swallowed the king and his ward, he fetched it and brought it over. Do you want it? Mr. Oak said, holding it out. Can't. Might, might get blood on it. Voices from closing distance. Help would soon arrive. Don't open it. Mr. Oakes returned his attention to Mr. Mayhew. 
The wounded man's eyes burned. Don't read it. Don't even open it. Don't. His strength left him, and he flopped to the ground, unconscious. From there, things were almost perfunctory. The tribe came and got them, led them back to the surface. A phone call summoned Priya Patel and her ambulance. While Mr. Mayhew lay in surgery, volunteers accompanied Mr. Oakes to the site of the Needlemouth attack. Thorman Cassandra was gone. Only bloodstains remained. Mr. Oakes now found himself possessed of nothing but free time and a book he was under strict directions not to open. He did better than many in that scenario. He lasted most of a day. In dream, Marcus Mayhew walked beneath a red sky. He came across a man whose face he could not see. It's an eye, the faceless man said. Mr. Mayhew awoke in a hospital bed, feeling his stitches itch. Mr. Oakes sat in a chair before the bed, the leather-bound book open on his lap. Mr. Mayhew tried to speak, but his mouth was parched and all that emerged was a guttural squawk. The other man brought him a glass of water and watched him drink, then retreated to the chair. The two men eyed each other. What happened to Cassandra? Mr. Mayhew finally asked. We can't find her. Priya is scouring every back street for some trace. That poor girl, Mr. Mayhew murmured. The silence between them was a heavy, uneasy thing. Mr. Mayhew broke it. I told you not to open the book. Mr. Oakes glared at him. It's a great read. Lots of wild characters. Old King Croc, the Hawk, the Red-Cloaked Wraith, the Hag, the Winged One. <laughs> we got ourselves a town fit to burst with oddities. He sighed. There were tears in his eyes. Malcolm, he began. Malcolm, why is my name in this book? Mr. Mayhew shut his eyes. Mr. Oakes went on. Why, why can't I seem to remember what the sun looks like? I have, I know that I have memories, but I can't seem to remember them. It's like a fog bank all throughout my mind. 
I've been trying like hell to dredge something up and I can't. Why? The tears flowed. You tell me why. Mr. Mayhew opened his eyes. He turned his head, looking out the heavy wiring around the window. This strange city, gray as graves. It was actually Fred Astaire, he said, not Bing Crosby. I couldn't believe it when she brought up that Christmas special. It's called Santa Claus is Coming to Town. That's the name. Fred Astaire's narrator. It's the one with, uh, with the Burgermeister. And the Ice Wizard, Mr. Oaks added. And Santa Claus, Mr. Mayhews went on. Chris Kringle, his beard is red when he first grows it. I watched that special over and over again. I had a VHS tape that I wore out I watched it so much. I didn't... I didn't decide that that was what you look like. I... I don't... People are... They're, they're just so difficult to figure out. You weren't. You... You I could talk to for hours at a time. You listened to me. You liked me. Mr. Mayhew heard the sobs, but could not bring himself to look. It's funny. I'd actually just decided that it wasn't right for an adult man to have an imaginary friend. I had an appointment to see a psychiatrist to begin planning out some treatment. But then the city fell. And then, not long after, I saw you in line for food. And you smiled, and you waved, and you came towards me, and people were reacting to you, seeing you. You were real. Really, really real. Mr. Mayhew sighed. It's only been as I researched the gods, legends, whatever you want to call them, that I truly grasped the intensity of my delusions. Those other beings, they take a lot of time and a lot of focus and usually large groups of people. He smiled. But you... You're all mine. The huge, racking sobs coming from Mr. Oaks finally forced Mr. Mayhew to turn. His face was in his hands. His back shook. When he raised his head, his eyes were red and his nose running. He was every bit the exhausted, grieving man. But he was not that. 
neither man could ever again unknow that truth. I understand if you hate me, Mr. Mayhew said, low. The beard man gave a short, ugly bark of laughter, a sound that could not help but remind Mr. Mayhew of the wounded beast in the sewer. I would love to hate you, Mr. Oaks sneered, but I don't think you made me that way. He slumped. Fuck. You didn't even give me a first name. Outside, snow continued to fall. It forced the city to a standstill. From a great distance, you might look upon the rising buildings and falling snow and see there a burnished jewel. You might hear the silence and imagine that all was always so still and you could wander through the empty streets as if you toured the interior of a snow globe. But thaw is never far off. All right, really not gonna take a long time to do this right now. Uh, my name is Brandon Foley and I write, produce, and perform Black Sun Dispatches as part of the Cinepunks Podcast Network. Uh, if you like this show, please check out all the other cool stuff that we have on Cinepunks, including Cinepunks, Loud Fast Philly, Horror Business, The Man Date, or any of the other uh, really cool writing that we have. Uh, if you didn't like this show, uh, you're still good because Black Sun Dispatches isn't really like any other shows on Cinepunks, uh, so presumably there'll be something else that you'll like. Uh, this show and all shows are sponsored by Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, which you can hit up at xlvacx.com. That's Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations at xlvacx.com. If you did like this show, uh, please rate and review us on iTunes. It really helps spread the word uh, about the show. Uh, and also, you know, please spread the word on iTunes, Facebook, uh, whatever you got. You can follow me on Twitter at the True Brennan F, and you can follow the show on Twitter at Black Sun Show. Black Sun Dispatch's logo was designed by Jennifer Rogers, and the music is Winter by E.L. Heath, which is really appropriate given that I'm now recording it while buried under lots of snow. So we'll have another episode next week, next Monday. It will be a super dark <laughs> Christmas episode, as you do, and after that, we'll take a break and uh, kind of reconvene in the new year. Uh, so join us next week for our Christmas episode. Uh, and like I said, please help spread the word about the show to this point. Uh, it's been pretty good, I think. Uh, I'm tired. Uh, okay, bye guys. Uh, see you later. Have a good one.